we focused on the most basic aspect of living in community. And living in community with other believers. Namely, faithful participation. Now today we build on that teaching that we heard last week. And, and we will see that the participation of each believer in a local church, in a local body of believers, is always for a purpose. And that purpose may not be primarily for your edification, but for the edification of the body. Thus, it is never intended to be a passive participation, but an active participation. That which is the foundation of, of faithful service. And today, uh, our, our theme is edifying service. Now, some of you may ask, how does service relate to maturity? Why would we talk about service when we talk about a profile of a mature believer? What do these have in common? Well, the answer is in, in Ephesians 4. It's part of a passage that we read together this, or this morning as our congregational reading. But the very clear answer in Ephesians 4, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. And notice for what purpose? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the, the purpose of the works of service is maturity. It is to build up the body of Christ. It is to attain the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. In other words, our active participation, our service in the body of Christ, has the goal and purpose to build up the body, to bring up the body to maturity, and to become full like Christ. But our service is not only a means through which God grows the body of Christ, it is also a primary aspect of our worship. And this is the point of, that Paul hammers out in Romans chapter 12. I encourage you and invite you to open scripture to Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading from verse 3 uh, to verse 8. And to really for the context, allow me to read from verse 1. But the, the message this morning really will be focused on, cha- on verse 3 to verse 8. Romans chapter 12. The word of the Lord for our hearts today is the following. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather Think of yourselves with sober judgment 
in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Amen. This was the word of the Lord for us, and I invite you to bow our heads and pray for this word and for our hearts. Father, we do not want to take for granted that every time we hear this word, we hear it in freedom. We're, fr- we're grateful that you revealed yourself to us, that you called us to yourself, and that you designed us to live in community. As we gathered now, we pray that you would speak to your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And for his glory. Amen. Well, in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, Paul established the truth that all of us, no matter of of our background, all of us stand guilty before God. So much so that every mouth is silenced before God and the whole world is held accountable to God. Yet, despite our Inability to save ourselves, save ourselves from God's wrath. Chapters 3 and 4 tell us that God provided a way for us to be reconciled to Him. And that happens by trusting in the sacrifice of Christ who died in our place. In chapters 5 through 8, we are given a picture of this life of faith. What that looks like. And then chapters 9 through 11, Paul will talk about the people of Israel, God's very people, who were faithless. But despite their faithlessness, and actually because of their faithlessness, God opened a way to the Gentiles, to you and to me, to receive the gospel, to follow God, to be accepted before God. And at the end of of chapter 11, Paul gives this doxology that we read earlier today. To God be the praise and honor and glory. And that's how chapters 1 to 11 in the book of Romans end. Then at the beginning of chapter 12, there is this big therefore. Therefore, in, in, in light of all that God has done, from the beginning to the end, from the beginning of the book of Romans to the end of chapter 11, therefore what? What are the implications that God has done all of these things for us? The short answer is worship God. Worship God. And there's a sense in which all of chapter 12 and and the rest of the book of Romans from chapter 12 to to chapter 16 tells us the implications of what that looks like. But look at verse 1. 
of chapter 12. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The implication is that now we are called to worship God. But our worship is not simply our singing. We sometimes refer to the praise and worship team, to the praise and worship time, as if worshiping God means simply our singing. But that is not true. That is incomplete. Sometimes we think of our worship as what happens here, Sunday mornings, as we gather together. And that is not true. Worshiping the New Testament is not limited to what we do on Sunday morning when we're gathered together. Worshiping God means giving ourselves to God day in and day out, 24 hours, 7 days a week. So what happens when we do gather together, it is we continue and engage in a different aspect of the worship that we're called to do throughout the week. But worshiping God is not just our singing, is not just on Sunday morning. Worshiping God is a presentation of our bodies as a living sacrifice so that everything we do in our bodies and with our bodies may become and ought to become an act of worship. This means, brothers and sisters, dear friends, that we no longer conform to fit to the mold of this age. Instead, we experience an inner transformation that makes us different. It makes us think different. It makes us live different. It makes us feel different. True worship transforms us. Actually, let me say this. Regardless of what you worship, sooner or later, it will transform you. The effects of worshiping anything is that you start becoming like that which you worship. And that's why it's not unusual for Paul to say and to emphasize this at the beginning of chapter 12, that our worship of God will make us more like God and less like this world. Now, some of us will ask, well, okay, but what does that mean? Bring it down to our daily lives. What does that mean practically? What does it mean for us tomorrow or once we leave this place? Well, the first aspect of what that means, and I said the rest of the book of Romans will sort of unpack that for us, but the first aspect of what that transformed life looks like is this. It becomes visible in how you and I live in community. Transform, a transformed life becomes visible in how you and I live in community. And these are, this is the, the, fir- the first major issue that Paul is tackling in chapter 12. How we believers live in community. And there are two points I would like to emphasize in this passage. The first one is the priority of oneness. The priority of oneness. Look at verse 4 and 5. Just as each of us has one body 
with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body. Now, Paul's focus here is to change the attention of believers from thinking only about the individual parts to think about the whole community. Yes, each part is different, but the oneness of the body takes precedence over the many parts. It's as if, and allow me to, to, to bring in a contemporary uh, expression, it's as if Paul would be speaking and saying to us, you miss the forest for the trees. Don't think just about individual parts of this body of believers. Don't just think about yourself or other individuals. Think about the oneness of the body. Now someone may ask, what does that mean? How should we think about oneness? How should, should such thinking affect us? Here's how. If the many and diverse parts are one body, it means that each part belongs to all the others. So don't focus on independence, but on dependence. And that's the point of verse 5. Look at the second half of verse 5. Paul says, And each member belongs to all the others. Now, it is easy for Christians who attend the same church to usually describe themselves as belonging to the same church. But Scripture has a higher challenge for us to think of ourselves not as belonging to a particular church, but to belong to each other. It's as if in marriage, a husband or wife would think about belonging to marriage. That's awkward. They usually think about belonging to each other. And in a similar way, when we think about being Christians and belonging to something, we should not put emphasis on just belonging to a particular church, but about belonging to each other. We don't belong to an institution, dear friends. We belong to others in the body of Christ. We belong to each other, and that is the emphasis that Paul brings here in verse 5. Now, practically, this means for us believers that we are called to place a high priority on the corporate life of the body of Christ, not just on our private walks with the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, do you think much about the body of Christ? Do you think much about the well-being of other members in the body of Christ? Do you care if they are doing well spiritually? Are you concerned if you find out or hear or observe that someone is not doing well spiritually? You see, friends, if we belong to each other and not simply to a membership role, it means that what I do or don't do or what you do or don't do affects others. Do you ever consider how your action 
or lack of action might affect others? Brothers and sisters, and especially let me speak to those of you who are members of this church. My prayer and desire is that we as a community of believers, as a local expression of the church of Christ, of the body of Christ, we as a local community, a local church, that we would cultivate priority for this body over priority of our own independent lives. That the corporate life of the congregation would be central to the life of each individual believer because it was God's design that the many would form one body. However, there's a major obstacle to this kind of thinking oneness, to this kind of putting a priority on the oneness of the body and not on the individual parts of the body. And here's the obstacle. The obstacle is our individualism. We have a tendency to over-evaluate ourselves and to put all, uh, an inordinate amount of attention to our individual selves. Deep down, behind our smiles, and some of you are, behind our desire to help others, and many of you are, we often are more concerned about our own selves. And we prioritize our own individual lives over the lives of the body of Christ. And that's how we're born. That's how we are naturally inclined to live and think and feel. So I, I am not saying this in any way in a negative way. This is, this is how we each of us start life. Plus, we're also inclined to think higher of ourselves than we ought. Even as believers, we tend to have a higher view of ourselves because of the gifts we have. We're inclined to use our differences for the purpose of comparing ourselves. We would be happily serving other people and serve the church with our gifts and with our talents if we were noticed and recognized. There are people who would find personal value in their gifts. Uh, there are tendencies in us that we would want to express our gifts not simply for the sake of the body, but for the sake of expressing our own selves and manifesting ourselves. And even if such service appears beneficial for other people, it is still done from an individualistic mentality. We, dear friends, are in love with ourselves. I am reminded of a pastor who was preaching at a church. He was invited to, to preach at a different church. And when he got there, he received a very, very elaborate introduction that, uh, that, spread, uh, and that expressed all the accomplishments that this man did and all his talents. And as the pastor came to speak, he responded to the man who introduced him by saying, We both are great sinners. You because you embellished the truth, and I, because I really liked it. Sometimes we love serving if the spotlight falls on us, on our talents. Again, even if such service might seem 
beneficial to others. It is still done from an individualistic perspective. So Paul teaches us that we should not put priority on ourselves, but put priority on the oneness of the body. Other times we fall in the trap that we are irreplaceable. Sometimes, when no one else is on the radar for getting involved in a particular ministry, it is easy for us to think that that ministry stands or falls with us. And such thinking fosters dangerous thoughts about ourselves. You and I might really like those thoughts, I agree. But they're poisonous. They're dangerous. So Paul's admonishment in verse 3 of the text we read, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. The greatest obstacle, dear friends, to putting priority on the oneness of the body of Christ over our individual parts is our own individualism. And the first point that Paul is teaching us how we ought to live in community and how we ought to serve as a community is do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Look at yourself and at other believers by prioritizing the oneness of the body, not the individuality, not your own self-interest, but belonging to one another. And that's the meaning of prioritizing oneness, belonging to one another. But the second thought, that Paul has in this, ver- in this passage is the priority of faithfulness in serving. Priority in faithfulness in serving. Now, thinking about oneness does not mean that we have to become uniform. Thinking about oneness does not mean that now we're going to diminish our differences. One body has many parts, and the focus on many parts implies not only a numeric issue that we are many, but it implies a diversity issue. And it points to the variety of parts that exist in a local body of believers. And such variety acts on a few dimensions. There is the dimension of cross-cultural diversity. Let Let me tell you what that means. People of different ages who might not have much in common And by the way, our society is great, is doing a great job conditioning us to to, to believe this reality. People who are different ages who might not have many things in common, yet Scripture teaches us that cross-generational relationships are not a liability to the church. They are an asset. In Titus chapter 2, Paul encourages believers, encourages older women to teach younger women how to live. The notion of of targeting only one generation or only one segment of society in order to form a church is simply not existent in the New Testament pages. A second dimension of of diversity of of parts, a diversity of of members, is cross-cultural people of different ethnicities and languages who might not have the same values or the same backgrounds now have something much stronger in common than their nationalistic differences. And I know it's 4th of July, it's Independence Day, and we were proud to be Americans, but let me say this, brothers and sisters. Our faith in Christ makes us have more in common with other believers of other nationalities than with non-believers who are of the same nationality with us. 
Because the body of Christ brings many members who are different, who might have very little in common or nothing at all, and in Christ, we have in common something way more than anything else that we could have. So differences, diversity in cross-generational, in ages, differences in cross-cultural, in, in ethnicity and background. But the third dimension is differences in the diversity of gifts or the different roles that each of us have in the body of Christ. And this is Paul's focus here in Romans chapter 12. The, the diversity of gifts is not based on our self-worth. You didn't earn your gift. God didn't look at you and, and said, let me see how, how worthy Kathy is, and let me see how many gifts can I entrust to her. No. God's gifts were given to us as an act of His grace, says verse 6. So our gifts, in, in, in Paul making this very clear, he's saying that our self-image should not be tied down with the gifts that God gives us. Such an attitude leads us both to humility and to responsibility. Now, without losing a sense of, of the wholeness of the body and, and without forgetting about the oneness of the body, the second emphasis that Paul gives in this, chat, in this passage that we read is an encouraging is on encouraging each part to carry out its role faithfully. Now, there's a few assumptions in this passage, a few things that are assumed, they're not explicit. Let me mention them. The, every believer has a part to play in the body of Christ. It's, ex, it's assumed in this passage. It's not explicitly stated here. There are other parts in Scripture that tell us, tell us that reality explicitly, but it's assumed if you are a child of God, a follower of Christ, God puts you in the body of Christ and gives you a role. Whether you know it or not is a different issue. Whether you act on it or follow it is a different issue, but you have a part in the body of Christ. You are not just a consumer in the body of Christ. You are an active producer in that body. Every part, here's a second uh, assumption, every part ought to know what their role is so they can live out, do their part faithfully. Now, some people might not know what their role is. And, uh, and that is okay for now. Part of maturing, dear brothers and sisters, part of maturing as, as believers, as followers of Christ, is that we would learn and discover and know what those gifts are. And that we would practice them and live them out according to the measure of faith that God has given to each of us. So my hope for all of you who are members of this church and members of our congregation is that, that sooner or later, if you have not realized what your gift is, that, you would, that that would be clear to you. Now you say, how do you do that? Let me give you one hint. Only by serving. Only by coming in and having the servant attitude, the servant heart, can you expose yourself to see what are the gifts, what are the talents, what are the things that God has given uniquely to you that is greatly beneficial to others in the body of Christ. 
So keep on serving until you realize and know and discover what your gifts are and then use those gifts to, to do even better serving and more efficient serving. Every part ought to know their role so that they can do their part faithfully. Now let me say this, dear friends, brothers and sisters. The most effective ministry you can have is to live out the gift God has given you. Not seeking the gifts God has given somebody else. Now there are some parts in our body that are more visible than others. There are some parts of our body that receive more attention than other parts. Think for a moment, how much attention do you give to your hair every day? Do you give the same amount of attention to your kidney? But I bet you this, that a bad hair day does not compare in discomfort with a bad kidney day. Now, some people might have a different opinion about that. That's okay. But you know what I mean. You see, friends, with the church is the same way. There are parts of the body that are more visible, that have a more visible duty, more visible role, and are individualistic inclination is to look for those parts in the body, for those roles in the body that receive all that attention. But what Paul is teaching us here in verses 6 and 8 is that the most effective ministry you can do is to carry out the gift that God has given you, not somebody else. To carry out the role that God designed you to have. And that, look at verse 6 to 8. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. And the list goes on. And this is not a comprehensive list. The emphasis is, whatever gift God has given you, seek to live that gift out. Again, do it for the sake of the body, not for your own sake. Now notice another emphasis in verse 8. The emphasis is not simply on what God has given you, but on how He wants you to do it, on doing it well. Look at the last three examples in verse 8. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him uh, govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. In other words, Paul is not simply saying that people should exercise their gifts, but it, he's focusing how they should exercise them. Again, these are just some examples. They're not all the gifts. But the principle is that we should not simply focus on the fact that we serve, but how we do it. Let me ask you this morning, do you ever stop to consider how you're serving? Now, don't just brush this question off by saying, Come on, pastor, aren't you happy that I serve? I am. I'm very happy that you serve. But Scripture teaches us that we should pay attention not only to the fact that we serve, but also how we do it. So, let me ask you this. Do you stop to observe how you're serving? There are believers who, after serving for a long time in a particular area, might become tired 
or disappointed or even bitter because they say they are the only ones serving. So they keep serving, but their heart is no longer in it for the same reasons that they got serving in the first place. Do you ever stop and pause and observe and evaluate? Not only if you serve, but how do you serve? Scripture is interested in the how of your service. And we need to pause occasionally and take a look at how we do that. What, made, what motivates your service? Is it fueled by the fact that you understand God's grace? Or is it because you heard the pastor preach a great sermon on how to, on how to serve and you feel guilty if you don't sign up? There are many believers present here in this congregation who are doing a tremendous job in the way you serve God in this local body of believers. Many of you are carrying three, four hats in different roles, in, in their significant roles, and their weighty roles, and you carry on your shoulders weighty responsibility. Some of you are, are uh, teaching Sunday school, others are uh, in committees, others are leading small groups, others are serving as deacons, others are serving as heads of ministry teams, others of you are serving in ministry teams, and on top of that, some of you are leading music, and, and I praise God, I praise God for your faithfulness. And in, in many of you, I sense that attitude, whatever it takes, we will serve. I praise God for that attitude. But I want to encourage all of us to take some time to reflect, not only on the fact that we serve, but on how we're serving. And that's the focus of, of Paul's words in, chapter, in verse 8, chapter 12. Can your service be described by the attitudes that Paul says here and uses here? Cheerfulness, zeal, generosity. So the second point of the service, of, of this passage, of our service in the body of Christ is put priority on faithfulness in serving. Maturing believers grow in their pursuit of serving faithfully with the gifts God gave them. So priority over oneness, priority in faithfulness as you serve. Now there are some believers, there are people of God, followers of Jesus Christ, who refuse to join a local body of believers because they're afraid that if they join the church, they'll get tagged and, and, and trapped into service. Anyone here? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But friends, for those of you who might have felt attracted to such thinking, for those of you who would prefer as an alternative the kind of Christian living that is just you and Jesus with no community in the mix, with no community in the picture that would encourage you to serve, that would encourage you to to give your life for others, for the benefit of others, let me remind you the words of Jesus who taught his disciples in Mark 10.45 when he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So to follow Jesus means to follow him in serving. Being a servant is a core part of being his disciple. And growing in maturity as believers means, 
or to become more like Christ means growing in how we serve God. Are you growing? Remember these two truths about edifying service. The priority of oneness and the priority of faithfulness in serving. When these two truths guide our minds, we live out the transformation of becoming more like Christ every day. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come to you, each of us, as sinful individuals who are more interested about ourselves, about our own well-being, than about the well-being of the body of Christ. Father, I pray and we recognize that we need to experience afresh your grace. We need to experience afresh a transformation that comes as a result of a renewed mind. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to experience the transformation that comes to us as a result of our worship of you. Father, renew our minds today so that we would think biblically about ourselves and about the community in which you placed us. Father, we pray that we would learn to see the priority of the body of Christ over the priority of our individual lives. I pray that we would learn to see the priority of faithful and diligent service over our own comforts. Father, I pray that the words of Jesus, when he rebuked the devil in the desert, would be true of us, that we should worship the Lord our God and serve him only. Father, teach us how to live our lives in community as an act of worship and as an act of service to you. And Father, in the next few moments, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And as we will have a moment of silence in which each of us will be praying, I pray that you speak directly to our hearts. Convict, confront, and enable us to make decisions that glorify you.